great statement in here. When Jesus' disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? Well, I think it's difficult too. And my question was not who can accept it, but who on earth can preach from this and what are they going to say? I tried very hard to get John to do it, but he could not. So here we go. You know, I must have heard this before, and you will have heard this section of the Bible before, because it at least comes up every three years in the lectionary, but you've probably read it yourself. But there was a section in here that I had not noticed, and so I'm going to read a little bit again, and I want you just to bear in mind that in here, this is all about disciples. So it's not just about random people following Jesus. There is a distinction between the twelve and the other disciples, but that word disciples is used um, by John when he writes this. So just listen to the response of the disciples. But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about his teaching, said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you were able to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. And because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I wouldn't have told you that some of Jesus' disciples turned away. I thought they all kind of kept on going. But these people were complaining. Clearly were offended by something Jesus had said about the bread and the spirit and who Jesus was in this bread of life. And he could see amongst them unbelief. And this was amongst his disciples. And these disciples were those who had been present when Jesus had fed the 5,000, not so long before this. So they'd seen him perform an amazing miracle. And they'd followed. And they'd been with him when it had been exciting and easy. And he'd been performing signs and wonders. And he'd been challenging the authorities and he'd been giving hope to them. But for some reason, these words they found really hard. And they turned away. And they stopped following him. Today, I want to focus on the line that we can walk. The fine line between following and leaving. The fine line between belief and trust and disbelief and distrust. And I think, in a way, we find ourselves on that line every day and probably every moment, actually. And it's not the only image of how we live, but that's what I want us to think about today, is that an idea of a line, and we can step towards Jesus towards God, or we can step away at any point. And after that section where it says some of his disciples stepped away, Jesus then addresses the twelve, and I think he's really 
harsh here. And I think he's kind of pointing to the narrowness of this line. And he says to them, do you also want to go? And Peter, in his inimitable way, jumps in and says, Lord, to whom could we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus answered them, but actually only Peter had spoken, and they hadn't asked a question. But Jesus answered them, and he said, did I not choose you? So he's making an affirmation for them. And then he says, yet one of you is a devil. Now imagine, we're only, we're 11 here, so imagine if we were the 12, and John stood up there and said, one of you is the devil. And you'd all probably, hmm, I don't think that's me, but maybe it is. It's pretty harsh, isn't it? Jesus says to them, I chose you, but one of you is a devil. And they didn't know who that was. Judas may have had an inkling, but the others had no idea. So how do they feel when he says that to them? So I'm working on this idea that they're standing on this line and at every point they can choose to be like Peter. Where else can we go? You're the one who has the words of eternal life. We believe you. Or is it getting too hard? And will they step away and say, I can't do this. What if I'm the devil? And I think this is sort of one of the crux of discipleship. When we're in this for the long haul, we're confronted by these moments over and over again. We can stand and witness to God. We can give praise to God. We can do the things that we know Jesus would want us to do. And yet we can also walk away from that so easily with a, with a word that's not right, with a thought that's not right by ignoring the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do something and we don't because we're too busy or we just are a bit afraid. So we can do both things and we do continually. And I think on this line, it's where we hold together our confidence in God and our questions. And we hold our commitment to God, our commitment to Christianity, but also we hold the things we're a bit reticent about. We hold our enthusiastic confessions. Yes, you are my Lord, you are my God. And we also hold those rational thoughts. How can this work? What is God doing? How does this make sense? And at any point, we could go one way or the other. But you know, Jesus put the disciples in this position. So clearly, it was okay for them to be on this line, on this edge. He wasn't telling them it was a bad place to be. It's just a place to be where we're constantly aware, are we going to step towards Christ? Are we going to step away? And all through the Bible, there are examples of people who take steps towards and away from God. And it's because it's part of our human condition. We're not puppets. We're not uh, perfect. So we do make good choices and bad choices all the way along. And I just want to think of a few people. Uh, You may know the story of Esther, 
who uh, was a Jew and was chosen to be one of the queens of the king at the time, but he <clears throat> ran his court in such a way that you could only speak to him if he invited you. So even his wives couldn't just go up and see him, they had to wait to be called. And sometimes for Esther that might be a month or more that she never spoke to him. And then uh, one of the people in the king's court who hated the Jews devised a plan by which the Jews would all be exterminated and kind of manipulated the king into the position of issuing an edict to that effect. Esther's mentor, Mordecai, heard of the plan and sent her a message and said, you need to go and speak to the king (coughs) because you can change this. And she knew that if she approached him without being asked, she may lose her head. But Mordecai said to her, for if you keep silent at such a time as this, Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you, Esther, have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. So she's on that line. Will I risk everything to do the right thing, or will I step away? And she did. She went and approached the king, and the edict was reversed, and the Jews were saved, and to this day... There's a big festival to celebrate what Esther did in saving the Jewish people. I um, have a favourite story in the Old Testament. It's about Naaman, who was um, a commander in the army of King Aram, and he was in high favour with the king. But he had leprosy. And in his household were slaves, uh, some Jewish slaves that had been captured when they defeated various armies. And there was a girl in his house who worked for his wife. And this girl had a chance to step over the line. She knew that there was a prophet, Elisha, in Samaria, where she came from, and that if Naaman went to see Elisha, he would be healed. But what a bold step for a slave girl to make a suggestion about her master, who was a commander in the army. But she did. She told her, um, she told the wife and the wife told Naaman and Naaman went to the king and said can I go and see him and the king said yes I'll send you a letter and he went off to see Elisha and a bit like the disciples in the story he complained quite a bit because Elisha wouldn't come out and see him and treat him with due dignity and honour he just gave him an instruction which was to bathe in the river so there was quite a bit of complaining and Naaman was going to turn back but one of his men said well come on come this far why don't you just do it and he was healed of his leprosy. We heard recently the story of David and Bathsheba. David coveted this woman, she was married to someone else, and he arranged for Uriah to be killed. David stepped way off that line. Way, way off that line. But he is still the golden king, the king that we remember, because he came back. And Psalm 51 is his prayer of contrition, when he'd been challenged by Nathan the prophet. So having stepped far away from God, he came back and chose again to follow. And Peter, who here says, where else would we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. We hear Peter again when Jesus is having that discussion with the disciples. Who do people say that I am? And then he says to the disciples, who do you say that I am? 
And Peter jumps in and he says, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But it's that very same Peter who there jumps over the line following Jesus, who later on says, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. No, I'm not one of his followers. So we negotiate this line on a daily basis. And I know that I do. Um, just thinking about school, so I've got 20 kids in my class, plus all the teachers around and all the others, and I know that I fail some of those children. I don't listen carefully to what they say. I anticipate what I think they're going to say and have my response ready, but I don't really listen, and I miss things. And sometimes I use a harsh word when I needed to use a kind word. Sometimes I get it really right. But I know that sometimes I step away from being Christ in that situation. So we have that ability to step towards God, to step away from God. But you know what? When we come back to the line and choose again to follow, we're welcome. There's no condemnation for us. We're welcome again. We're loved, we're forgiven, we're accepted. We just said, oh, come on, let's do that again. We don't need to hide having been on the wrong side of the line. In the resource material for this week, there was a really great quote by Martin Luther. And I thought if we could use it here today. So when we find ourselves on the wrong side of the line and we're really struggling to know how do we get back to God. This is what Luther said. Although God is present in all creatures and I might find him in a stone, in fire, in water, or even in a rope, for God is certainly there. Yet, God does not wish that you seek him there apart from the word with a capital W. God is present everywhere. But God does not wish that you grope for him everywhere. Grope rather where the word is. And there you will lay hold of him in the right way. Every week when we come here, we see the word we see the word made flesh when we engage in the sacrament. We hear the word read to us and explained to us. We sing it and say it. We taste the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was among us and the word was made flesh. We taste that every week. We experience God's particular promise to each one of us of acceptance, forgiveness, presence, and God's assurance that we can follow again. So when we find ourselves struggling because we know we've stepped away, this is the place where we can find the rightness, the righteousness of God laid out before us in our experience week by week. This reading is a challenge. It's hard 
And I haven't actually even delved into the reading too much. I've gone off on a tangent. But it's not about whether we are the ones who stay or walk away, because we are both. But it's how we find our way back if we're a bit stuck because we've gone too far away. And if we don't trust, or if something that someone else has done to us has really hurt and we're really struggling to find God, we can come back to that line and know that there will be a big welcoming hug, a sense of assurance and forgiveness. And we come to this place to see and taste and hear the word which shows us God. I have embraced a new piece of technology this week, and I've um, joined a thing called Spotify. Anybody heard of Spotify? Okay. Well, it's an online music thing. So now on my phone, I can I pay a subscription, and I can tap into any kind of music anywhere. I don't need to buy CDs anymore, or I don't need to have it loaded anywhere. And so I've actually been going kind of back to music from my teens and 20s and things I really enjoyed and I've loaded those on my phone so I can drive to work singing all those old songs that I used to know. Uh, And I listened to a guy called John Michael Torbett who I loved when I was um, in my 20s and he's a Catholic brother um, he runs a community, but he's a fabulous singer and guitar player. And there's a song here, Open My Eyes, Lord, and Help Me to See Your Face. And I think if we're struggling and feeling on the wrong side of the line, we can come here and hear and see the word, but we actually have to have our eyes open. And we have to have our ears open and our heart. And only we can do that we're the one that opens that up. So to finish this morning, um, we're going to listen to the song if you want to sing along. It's very simple and you can. Otherwise, just enjoy. And think about that challenge that we face every day to follow or to walk away.